Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today, rural healthcare at a breaking point. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. We want to thank our show sponsors who are investing in developing the next generation of health leaders, SureTest and Artisite, two great companies. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash today. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family could face. In 2023, to celebrate five years at This Week Health, we are working to give back and we are partnering with Alex's Lemonade Stand all year long. We have a goal to raise $50,000 from our community. We are already at $10,000 for the year and we ask you to join us. We're going to be doing a series of drives throughout the year to raise money for this great cause. And as you know, we have a drive going on in the month of February and Actually, I'm really excited about March, and I'm going to tell you about that tomorrow. But uh, for February, we're doing a drive that we looked at our download averages for the month of February over the last couple of years, and it's roughly about 20,000. So we set that as the bar and said every download over 20,000. For the month of February, we are going to give $1 for every one of those downloads to Alex's Lemonade Stand. Right now, we are over 19,000 and we have one day left. It's today. We have days where we average over a thousand downloads a day. So it is not impossible to get over that 20,000 number. And we would love to give more money to Alex's Lemonade Stand this month as our February drive comes to a close. Love the work that you've done and really appreciate spreading the word and getting it out there. We are so appreciative of getting this content into the hands of healthcare professionals. And we really appreciate your help in doing that. And we also appreciate your help in helping us to raise money for Alex's Lemonade Stand. All right, today we're going to be talking about rural healthcare. And there's a great article, Dartmouth Health CEO, rural healthcare is at a breaking point. Dr. Joanne Conroy is CEO and president of Dartmouth Health based in Lebanon, New Hampshire, which is rural. She is the chair-elect of the American Hospital Association's Board of Trustees and will chair the board starting in 2024. And here's what she had to say. American healthcare wasn't a crisis before the pandemic. However, based on what we are now seeing, especially in rural hospitals and health systems, the worst may be yet to come. Our rural hospitals and healthcare systems continue to lose money. Many think the pandemic is over that we are out of the woods and can get back to normal. Current data shows that new cases and hospitalizations and deaths from COVID continue to decline, but there's still a threat. An early flu season and high rates of RSV infection among our children late last year added strain on healthcare. In addition to the increased demand caused by the triple-demic, we have ongoing workforce challenges, inflation, and supply chain issues that may cause even more economic stress than the first three years of the pandemic. And the challenge is even more significant for rural facilities. Last fall, a report from the American Hospital Association showed that 136 
Rural hospitals closed from 2010 to 2021, 19 in 2020 alone. Texas Hospital Association has warned that one in 10 hospitals in the state is at risk of closure with nearly half of the state's hospitals projecting negative operating margins. Uh, let's see, let's go down a little bit. Hospitals rely on these post-acute care facilities. So she goes into the challenge of staffing. And she said the staffing isn't only for the hospitals, it's also the post-acute care facilities. And this is what she has to say. Hospitals rely on those post-acute care facilities for safe patient discharges when they no longer need hospital-level care. And here in New Hampshire, 30% of the state's limited number of post-acute care beds are closed because of staffing. At my hospital alone, we average 350 to 400 denials of requests for critical transfers each month. We are fully staffing every bed we have, but on average, we have 75 patients ready to be discharged back with no post-acute care setting that will accept them. This situation is far worse in rural areas where the workforce shortages are greater and the options are fewer compared to urban centers. So again, this the shortage, we have to have a, a larger lens on the shortage. It's not just the hospitals. It's not just the ambulatory settings. It is technicians. It is nurses. It is doctors. It is staffing in those post-acute care facilities as well. All right. She goes on. So much for being out of the woods. All hospitals, but especially those in rural communities like mine, have been developing innovative solutions to address those critical needs. In 2014, years before COVID, was known to most of us, Dartmouth Health created a Workforce Readiness Institute to help fill our needs for allied health positions like pharmacy techs, surgical techs, medical assistants, and phlebotomists. We have strengthened our relationship with the nursing program at New Hampshire-based Colby Sawyer College, making significant investments and widening our pipeline for new nurses. And last month, we introduced our Center for Advancing Rural Health Equity partnering with communities and community organizations to address social determinants of health, giving our communities, mainly rural, a stronger foundation of well-being to better navigate this and future public health crisis. However, much more needs to be done to strengthen our healthcare infrastructure. You all experience the symptoms of systems under stress. When you cannot find a primary care provider, <clears throat> you have to wait more than eight hours to get pre prescriptions filled. You stay in the emergency room for hours for a bed to become available in hospitals, or you have to delay getting necessary surgery because of operating room closures. We're gonna come back to this list, by the way. When our communities experience natural disasters, we lament the shortcomings of our infrastructure, propose ways to make it more durable and resilient, and then ultimately do little or nothing. However, this storm battering healthcare is different. We simply do not have the luxury of crossing our fingers and hoping the best next time. Our inactivity has real-time implications for patients who are parents, children, and neighbors. All right, now she goes on to solutions that she's proposing. These unprecedented times also present an opportunity to reimagine the training models for physicians and other healthcare professionals. We still train our physicians as we did 100 years ago, and modernizing our approaches could help us train providers faster and more efficiently. And we've heard this from a lot of people. We heard this from Dr. Clasco. We've heard this from uh, leaders across the board that we have to look at how we're training new clinicians in the field and what it means to practice at the top of their license. Anyway, 
<clears throat> we'll go on. In its final days, the 117th Congress passed legislation that extends, among other things, programs and financial support that will benefit hospitals and service providers in rural areas, as well as telehealth benefits for Medicare beneficiaries first expanding during COVID that proved so valuable to patients and providers everywhere. These are steps, although small ones, in the right direction. Okay, so the government is subsidizing rural health care. The American Hospital Association continues to advocate for solutions, including lifting the cap on Medicare-funded physician residencies, boosting support for nursing schools and faculty, providing scholarships and loan forgiveness, and expediting visas for all highly trained foreign healthcare workers. These are important initiatives and help from measures like these cannot get here soon enough. The pandemic and the issues created and magnified are not in our rearview mirror. They are still right on top of us and we need solutions to keep rural healthcare systems solvent and working. We and our patients cannot wait. Okay, so there are some solutions for you. Reimagine how we do medical training, to have the government subsidize some aspects of rural health care and then some of the other things like lifting the cap on medicare funded residencies and allowing visas and scholarships loan forgiveness all good solutions and potentially alleviating some of the challenge that we have today i'm not to disagree with any of these proposals in fact i agree with just about all of them but as i'm looking at this i'm wondering is are we extending a model that is potentially not serving our rural communities well? It is serving our rural communities, don't get me wrong, and anytime there is change, there is a certain amount of chaos that gets introduced into the system, and we cannot have chaos in this environment. So you have to buffer the change to ensure that there is not chaos, but is there a better model for delivering healthcare in rural communities that is just over this hill, if you will, that we don't see clearly yet. So for example, if we throw out acute care at this point, because acute care is a challenge that has to be handled locally. But if we throw out acute care, how much primary care can be delivered remotely? Prescriptions we already know can be delivered remotely. And we have a, a lot of technology that is starting to step into that gap that could potentially deliver a really high level of health, health care, and really relationally based healthcare to that community. So no, if that's just if we take acute care out of the equation. If we put acute care back into the equation, it gets more complicated for sure. I'm not disagreeing with that. And we have to look at that very carefully. And what does it look like to deliver acute care in those settings? And how are we going to do that moving forward? But what I am saying is if you subsidize the existing model too much, then you prolong the life of an existing model that potentially there's a better model on the other side of it. All right, let's go back to this list. And the reason I like looking at this list is this is a very good list of what the challenges that people in our communities are facing as they come into our healthcare systems today, right? Let's see. You all experience the symptoms of a system under stress when you can't find a primary care provider. All right, so that's one of the problems that exists in a lot of health systems. It exists here where I live. We struggle to get a primary care appointment before three to four months out. And because that first visit is pretty extensive, you have to have a physical and a workup and a bunch of other things, it's three to four months to get 
into see your primary care provider. We don't have enough of them. How are we going to address that? And I'm not bringing this up to solve this problem. I'm bringing this up to say, this is a problem. This is a problem that is being experienced in your health system today. And it's pretty common. And the answer isn't to just print more primary care providers. The question is, how do we do this more efficiently? How do we give a couple hours back to our primary care providers across the board, either with technology or with processes, procedures, alleviating some of the documentation burden, whatever it happens to be, giving primary care providers some time back. That's what administrators should be focused on to alleviate this problem. You have to wait more than eight hours to get prescriptions filled. There are a lot of companies that are coming into this prescription space. And if you're waiting eight hours to get your prescription filled, you might as well have it delivered by Amazon the next day. I'm not promoting Amazon. There's other Express Scripts and others out there. I'm just saying there are alternatives to waiting eight hours to get your prescription filled. Uh, you stay in the emergency room for hours for a bed to become available in a hospital and you have to delay, delay getting necessary surgery. And this gets back to what she was talking about, the post-acute care facilities. But it's not only that. That is an easy thing to look at and say, well, we can't solve that problem. But some of the other problems are the discharge process in some of the hospitals. As we look at that and realize that it's waiting on a single signature to let that patient go, and we can't get that signature because we can't track that person down for four, five, six hours. So we just... We took that bed for six hours when if we had a much better process for discharging a patient that we would have opened that bed up five hours earlier. And so we have to look at those areas, the, the things we can solve, the things that are within our grasp, both from a technology perspective and from a process perspective, and tackle those things to the ground. So again, great article. Really appreciate Dr. Joanne Conroy writing this article and talking about this. In fact, I'm going to reach out to her and see if we can't get her on the show and do an interview about this topic. I believe this is going to be one of the things that becomes extremely acute over the next couple of years as we start to see more and more rural healthcare facilities close down. Communities are going to be extremely upset about those facilities closing down. And it's going to be incumbent upon all of us to seek out solutions, regardless if we are an urban center or a rural center. I think a lot of care is going to be consolidated and still delivered in those wide geographies, but consolidated amongst a fewer number of health systems. All right, that's all for today. If you know of someone that might benefit from our channel, please forward them a note. You can do that to raise money for childhood cancer. You can also do that to help us out, to get our message out there. Our, our mission is to amplify great thinking, to propel healthcare forward. And we do a lot of interviews with great people and we wanna get that out to as many people as possible. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere. We wanna thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders, SureTest and Artisite. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash today. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.